Hi, I'm Willow Belden, and you're listening to Out There, the podcast that explores big questions through intimate stories outdoors. On this episode, we have a story about choice. Having the ability to choose can be something of a privilege. For some people, the choices they're able to make are limited by factors like income or family responsibilities or health. But what if having limited choices could actually be a good thing? Today's story comes from a woman named Fran Tarauskas. Fran hosts a podcast called Seize Your Adventure, which is about living the adventure lifestyle with epilepsy. For Fran, having an epilepsy diagnosis did not stop her from taking on a through hike by herself. But it did mean accepting that her options were more limited I'll let her take it from here. I didn't choose to hike the Camino. Not originally, anyway. I certainly wasn't one of those people who had it on their bucket list. I hadn't even heard of the Camino until I started Googling long hikes in Europe. I had originally set my sights on the Alpine peaks of Slovenia, or the Nordic serenity of Norway. I wanted to be somewhere harsh, somewhere off-grid. Quite frankly, I wanted to be far away from people. But, on assessment, I knew I couldn't do that. Not only was this going to be my first long-distance hike, it was also my first big adventure since I was diagnosed with epilepsy. I had my first epileptic seizure when I was 22 years old and in the last year of university. It started as a rush of voices in my ears. Then my vision went white and I was falling through fog. The next thing I remember, I was sat on the sofa. My head was pounding, I felt sick, and there was someone I didn't know next to me asking questions. It was another few moments before I realised that there was a paramedic in my house. I'd had what's called a tonic-clonic seizure, the very dramatic ones where you fall to the floor and shake. It had only lasted for a couple of minutes, but I still have a good half an hour of my memory that disappeared into that fog. But the doctors told me not to worry about it. They said it was a one-off and would probably never happen again. But of course, it did happen again, multiple times over the next few years. One seizure happened while I was sleeping and I woke with sensors on my chest and a paramedic leaning over me. A couple of seizures happened at work. These were less dramatic from the outside, but I would see that white fog, hear that rush of voices. I still have minutes missing from my memory. Finally, four years after my first seizure, I was diagnosed with epilepsy a neurological condition that makes a person more likely to have seizures, 
seizures such as the dramatic convulsions, but also seizures like the lost time, the fog, and rushes of noise. My doctors started me on medication, and that seemed to help. I was able to go on with my life without my condition having too much of an impact on me. I would still take myself on a bike ride at the weekend and walk alone through the leafy royal parks near where I live. I flew out to New York to see a friend that autumn, simply informing the flight attendants of my condition for safe measures. But after the politics of 2016, I wanted to get away from the everyday for a bit. I wanted to explore more of Europe before the borders in it became more complicated. And it had been such a long time since I'd been hiking that I decided to do it on foot. My research, if you can call it that, began by adding pictures of long-distance hiking trails to a Pinterest board. I stumbled across the turquoise rivers of the Socha Valley in the Slovenian Alps. I pinned the alpine huts in Italy, the fjords that split Norway, and the yellow arrows and scallop shells marking the famous Caminos across Spain. I didn't base my choices on any practicalities initially. It was just a daydream of destinations. Soon enough, I was talking about my hike as if it would happen. And although he didn't want to join me, my boyfriend was an accepting sounding board for my ideas. But when I first talked to my parents about the trails I was considering, they were clearly worried. They didn't like the idea of me being high up in the mountains, away from home, hospitals and help. I was frustrated with them at first. I hadn't had a seizure for more than a year by that point and I felt like they were being overprotective. I trusted my medication and thought that they should trust me. But the more I planned, the more the realities of hiking alone with epilepsy set in. I would have to ask my neurologist for extra medication to last the whole trip, and I had to think about how easily I could get to a pharmacy or doctor if I somehow lost any. Could I limit the risk of a seizure by taking rest days when I felt tired? Would I have phone signal for emergencies? And if I needed real help, would I be understood if I only spoke English? All these extra considerations suddenly felt limiting. The normal risks from solo travel were amplified by having a condition. A part of me wanted to be selfish and take myself far away from all civilization anyway, regardless of all the risks. But I had to admit that I didn't really want to be that reckless. And when I mentioned the Camino to my parents, even though I hadn't heard of it, my mum recognised it. The Camino, or the Camino de Santiago to give it its full name, is actually not a single hiking route, 
but a number of ancient pilgrim paths in Europe. What makes a trail a Camino is that all Caminos lead to Santiago de Compostela in northern Spain. The legend goes that Saint James, one of the earliest Christian apostles, was buried there after being executed for heresy in Jerusalem. Caminos have been popular for religious pilgrims since the 9th century, but today some of the routes are popular as secular long-distance hikes as well. Whilst neither me nor my family connect to the religious aspects, the familiarity and popularity of such a route clearly made my mum feel better about me going away. I still begrudged the idea of having to plan a hike based around my epilepsy, but the more I looked into the Camino, the more it made sense. I would be passing through towns multiple times a day and staying in hostels at night, and there would be thousands of other hikers doing the same route, so if I did have a seizure, there would be people to help. Picking a trail because it's the only safe option isn't very glamorous, but it is why I hiked the Camino. As my departure date drew closer, I kept trying to convince myself that the Camino was what I wanted. I reminded myself that it was one of the few long-distance trails where you don't have to camp. It is difficult to admit in the outdoor community, but... I don't actually like camping. What's more, the Camino route I had picked, called the Norte, would take me through seaside towns as well as remote mountains on the northern coast of Spain, which meant I would get to see more of the people and culture of the country I was visiting. And I liked that idea. Convincing myself of the merits of this path this path that seemed like my only option, wasn't altogether successful. I would still glance at the other trails and wonder if I'd prefer another path or another country, but once I'd made up my mind, it meant it was going to happen, and I was able to get excited about it. I was going to walk the Camino, The final few weeks of planning, it was as if the path laid itself out for me. By the time I arrived in San Sebastian on the northern coast of Spain, there was no thought of being anywhere else. I spent my first night sitting at a bar and discovering the Basque region's equivalent of tapas, pinchos. The selection of finger foods and delicacies was laid out on the bar in a manner that allowed me to order with ease. With very poor Spanish and none of the regional Basque dialect to help me, I pointed at whatever caught my eye, muttered, por favor, and let the sounds of Spain swirl around me. Hey, it's Willow. We'll hear the rest of Fran's story in a moment. But first, a word from our sponsors. Support for Out There comes from Kusa Tea. 
the world's first organic premium instant tea. Robin Shelley is in charge of marketing at Kusa. She says the idea for the company came about when the founder, Jim, was on a backpacking trip with some friends. They all pulled out Starbucks via coffee packet, and um, not being a coffee drinker, you know, he had tea bags. And he was like, why has no one made a good tea that's instant that I can use just like Starbucks via? Instant tea did exist, but Jim didn't like the way it tasted. So he set out to do it better. He partnered with a company that does botanical extractions. And together, they developed a new technology for making instant tea so that you preserve the flavor and the aroma and the antioxidants of the tea. Kusa tea comes in a bunch of different flavors. It's perfect for camping, backpacking, or just busy mornings. I'm actually drinking a cup of their mango green tea right now here at my desk. For 25% off your entire first order, go to kusatea.com and use the promo code OUTTHERE at checkout. That's C-U-S-A-T dot com, promo code OUTTHERE. Support for OUTTHERE also comes from BetterHelp, making professional counseling accessible, affordable, and convenient so that anyone who struggles with life's challenges can get help anytime anywhere. Let's face it, life can be tough. And sometimes friends and family aren't quite enough to pull you out of a rut. BetterHelp offers online counseling to help get you back to your happy place. They have licensed professional counselors who specialize in lots of different areas, from depression and anxiety, to relationships, to trauma and grief. Whatever you're struggling with, you can connect with your counselor on your own time and at your own pace. You can have phone or video sessions, plus you can chat and text with your therapist. It's secure, convenient, professional, and affordable. And to sweeten the deal even more, they have a special offer for listeners of this podcast. For 10% off your first month, go to betterhelp.com slash out there. That's betterhelp.com dot com slash out there. And now back to the story. The next morning was my first on the Camino. I had stayed in a hiker hostel. There are many of these hostels, or albergues as they're known on the Camino, and I woke up to the whispers and rustles of the other pilgrims getting ready for the day. A sunrise start was one of the unspoken rules on the Camino. Everyone wanted to get walking whilst it was still cool and get to the albergues before they were full. Those early starts were the one part of the Camino I didn't get used to and I often wished I were alone or even at home at that time of the morning. As I left the hostel that morning, I attached myself to a father and son from Madrid. Their names were Fernando and Fernando, and I followed them out of San Sebastian. As we walked, Fernando Sr. spoke to me in simple Spanish and hand gestures. He pointed to the Flecha Amarillas, the yellow arrows that marked the way of the Camino. If I followed the Flecha, he was telling me, I could not go wrong. We made a game of seeing who would spot the next arrow first. 
and soon enough I would be able to pick them out from any background. I had to stop a lot in those first days. I sat down in the middle of the path more than once, when the soles of my feet throbbed with the pressure they were under. But I couldn't give up, literally. I had no idea of how to get to the next hostel except for to follow the Fletcher. And each time I reached the next hostel, I had nowhere to be except back on the trail. So I always kept walking. Most of the time, I could rest on a bench in the small villages I walked through. The locals were familiar with pilgrims. Many of them had been one. I would gratefully accept the gifts and bits of trail magic they offered. I remember the juicy peach on the second day, eating it down to the pip as the man who gave it to me mimed a warning about the mud I would find in Galicia. My daily distance grew and each day took me through so many varieties of landscapes. At times I barely noticed, when all I could focus on was the next step. I gained blisters on the tops of my big toes, a bit of a unique place to get them. They throbbed and throbbed, until my feet got so tired that that pain engulfed the throbbing. On the harder days... I entertained myself singing out loud. Well, I walked all the day Till I came to some rich farmhouse And I knocked on the door Singing helped me, somehow, and I would always arrive at the albergues, tired but happy. Without eating or drinking for 20 long hours or more. Then suddenly, after about a week, walking felt better than staying still. I felt like I belonged out there on the trail. I perfected the ritual of unpacking and repacking the contents of my rucksack. I learned the hot spots to strap up on my feet each morning. Each day, I would check the route in the guidebook and follow the Fletcher Amarillas. When I saw those yellow arrows, I knew I was where I needed to be. Each night, I would talk to the other pilgrims about their day and their lives, safe in the knowledge that we had a common purpose and would help each other complete it. And I was enjoying the luxury of not having to make decisions. I didn't have to make plans with people or worry about what would happen the next day. I just got up in the morning, went where the arrows told me and stopped when I was tired. But then, after more than a month of walking, there were no more arrows, no more destination. I had reached Santiago the end of the trail. There is a note in the guidebook I carried that said, Pilgrims who finish the Camino find themselves drawn to stay in the city for a while, returning often to the main square in front of the cathedral. This was certainly true for me, but I wasn't revelling in my victory like I thought I would. 
I stayed in Santiago because I had nowhere else to be. After constantly being on the move for weeks, I felt suddenly very still. There was an inertia from reaching my destination that was unnerving. I half-heartedly followed another trail for a few days, and then I booked my flight home. When I returned, I wouldn't even have a job to tell me where to be each day. I was filled with a new strength and knowledge that I had done something incredible, and I knew there were now so many options open to me that I didn't even know what they were yet. But strangely, instead of feeling liberating, that idea was overwhelming. On my first night home, my boyfriend and I eased ourselves back into each other's company. Silences that were awkward on the phone seemed comfortable with him there. We enjoyed having the time to speak about all manner of unimportant things. But the next morning, I felt out of sync. I woke up long before him. I was obviously still on pilgrim time, but that morning, I didn't have anywhere to be. I had a bed for the night, and I didn't have to walk to get to it. After my boyfriend left for work, I decided to start by getting dressed. And I realised that for the first time in nearly two months, I had to choose what to wear. I was no longer limited to two tops and two bottoms, all of it dirty. When I opened my wardrobe, there were t-shirts, both long-sleeved and short-sleeved, as well as shirts and jumpers. I had trousers, shorts, skirts, dresses. I tried on some things, and they were all a slight misfit, falling a bit bigger on me than when I had left. The walking had changed me physically. I spent several minutes of that first morning home dressing myself, undressing, and trying on shoes like Cinderella's sisters, but I couldn't decide what to wear. In the end, I just put on my dirty hiking shorts and walking boots, and a fresh t-shirt to make me feel a bit more acceptable and I set off on the three-mile walk through the suburbs and into town. Walking has always been my preferred mode of transport. I don't drive, that is partly because of the epilepsy, but it's mostly because living near London, I have neither the money or the need for a car so I've often found myself walking when others wouldn't. That afternoon was drenched in late August sunshine and I took my time choosing the long way into town so that I could travel through the trees and the little green spaces my town has, rather than along roads. I found I was looking in the wrong direction for cars, still in the European mindset of left-right, rather than the British way. When I arrived in town, I headed to the cobbled food market at the centre and went to one of the stalls I know well. They greeted me in their regular manner, 
Hello, darling. It was familiar, yet strange. My subconscious was expecting Spanish, and so I found myself tripping over my own language when I'd been doing the opposite for the entire hike. But it felt good to speak small talk to them, and it felt easy to let them tell me what was best to buy. It was the same kind of small talk I had picked up in Spanish, and the simplicity of it felt good. I walked every day. Sometimes I found the time for longer hikes, but often they were short ones. I was constantly searching for new routes nearby. Wherever I walked, I would see arrows. As I walked into town, I would pick an arrow out from graffiti. I would notice arrows on the concrete blocks lining the path around the industrial estate. And when I hit the trails around my own home, seeking that feeling of belonging I had found on the Camino, I discovered that some of my own country's national trails are marked with the same spray-painted yellow pointers. I clutched at the familiarity of them, but most of the arrows weren't pointing anywhere, and the ones that did point out paths were there for other people. They weren't helping me. When I wasn't walking, I was applying for jobs wherever I could. The need to remain within public transport routes forced my hand and limited my options, but interviews eventually came up. I wore the same interview outfit for all of them, taking away the panic of what to wear the night before. I walked into each interview with the same level of low-key nervousness. I was of course hoping that I would stand out from the other applicants, but also that one of the jobs would stand out for me. But they were all just nice jobs that I could see myself doing. And then, contrary to my worries that a break in work would look bad, I had offers from three of them. I had to choose which one to take. Having too many job offers is a good problem to have, I know this. But I was secretly upset that I hadn't failed at least one of the interviews. I was afraid of making a choice because what if I made the wrong one? I wished for a clear Camino arrow to point me down the right way. But of course there weren't any. This was everyday life. And in everyday life, you have to make decisions. Before the Camino, I had been so frustrated when my options were limited. But now, now I was realising that sometimes I'm happier when there's only one clear path. Sometimes, a world of possibilities is just too much. That was Fran Tarauskas. She's a podcaster and writer based in London. Fran is on a mission to break the barriers between epilepsy and adventure, 
and she hosts a podcast of her own called Seize Your Adventure. You can listen to that at seizeyouradventure.com. We have a link to it on our website as well, and you can also follow Fran on Instagram at Frantic T Walks to keep up with her personal adventures. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. We're always looking for new listeners, and your recommendation is our best form of advertisement. Special thanks to Renee Peck, Tim Heelan, Mike Lutters, and Deb and Vince Garcia for their financial contributions to Out There. Listener support accounts for almost half of our budget. We couldn't make this show without you. To make a contribution of your own, just head over to outtherepodcast.com and click support. You can make a one-time donation, or even better, you can make smaller monthly contributions through Patreon. Patreon is a crowdfunding platform for creative endeavors. You pick how much you want to give each month, and they take care of the rest. Thank you so much for your support. That's it for this episode. Our marketing and business development director is Alex Eggerking. Our advertising coordinator is Jessica Taylor. Laura Johnston heads up our ambassador program. And our theme music was written by Jared Arnold. We'll see you in two weeks. And in the meantime, have a beautiful day, be bold, go outside, and find your dreams. Bye.